sitting down with Peter Smith has been one of the most honest conversations that I've had in a long time. I do a lot of work with people who are suffering trauma, just young kids at school level who who deal with uh, trauma, community trauma from gang violence to um to parental problems. I deal with with grown men who have gone through divorce. I deal with guys who um deal with trauma from being in some or other service that puts them in the path of violence and danger and aberrant behavior. And we sit and we talk and nine out of ten times you'll find somebody masking the honesty. My conversation with Peter Smith was different because there was no masking of anything. It was just him talking with a friend and telling me how the various events in his life had impacted him. I want you to really sit and listen and as you're listening think about your own life think about the things in your own life that has caused you trauma and drama and and see how that has devastated your life or gotten in the way of your success or hindered you from becoming the person that you wish you would be please enjoy now you're playing with the big We're not in our usual space today. We are sitting at um, a friend of mine's place. We're going to have a really interesting conversation. We want to talk about real things as usual. Uh, and sitting with this guy, we're probably going to regret something along the line. Because um, <laughs> uh, he's used to putting his foot in his mouth. He's got one less foot to put in his mouth now. So, <laughs> But um, he's used to doing yeah. that. And I absolutely love him for it because it's probably one of the realest conversations you'll ever have. So I'm sitting with Pete Smith. And um, we've been friends for a long time. Shared a lot of settled time together. Plenty. Plenty of times on the road. Pete, welcome. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm fucking in? nervous, dude. <laughs> <laughs> How am I? We're living in South Africa before an election, um, and I'm, I'm I'm transitioning out of the 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 um, the work that I that I was doing for the past four years. Yeah. Uh, and as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I five years, then I get hurtful. I can't. I can only deal with stupidity for five years. Mm, mm. Um, and once it gets to that sort of like four year mark, four and a half years, then I'm like sort of like if I don't leave, then I'm going to fuck someone up. So I'm at that point now where I need to step away from this because the, I mean it's a target rich environment that I'm in at the moment. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, um, move out of that space. Um, and I want to dedicate more time to the podcast. I want to dedicate more time to the, to the YouTube channel. Um, and obviously the cooking. Uh, yeah, I'm loving myself. It. Watched you going from being rather hard ass to a person with light behind his eyes. Yeah. Because you're a creative, actually, so. Um, but yeah, so it's been a, I think our road has been a good one. I You've think so. 
I've grown a lot since I've met you. Mm. <laughs> um, it's good if you can bounce ideas off each other, you know. Yes. You know, uh, and call each other on each other's bullshit. I mean, it's if you you can say to me, you're being a dick right now because you're much more than that. Sometimes we don't see how much we are because we measure ourselves by other people's standards and that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. But that's that's how life is. And until you until you acquire the superpower of seeing through the bullshit. Um, you're always going to do that. Now we get sad for different reasons. We we understand that there's nothing wrong with like if you see a cute dog or whatever, to fucking just <laughs> use your marbles over there, you know. Um, yeah. Or when you see somebody taking a leak against a wall in in a, in a public space, you, you can still then turn around and say, "Hey man, that's not cool." A kid yeah. walking by, you know. So you you stand up for your your beliefs and you live your principles, you know, regardless of of what they might be, as long as they are righteous as opposed to right, mm-hmm. because right's black and white, but righteous is, there's empathy in righteousness. Absolutely. You yeah, know? there is. It's, and it's also about um, treating somebody with respect. Mm. It doesn't matter who he is, especially the street people. I, I see many times, especially where I, I used to live in observatory and we had a lot of break-ins and stuff at one stage, and that directly correlated to people treating the the homeless guys who live under the bridge yeah like shit yeah and that kind of thing and it's it's always refreshing to be able to watch somebody's expression instead of him hearing hey yo fucking eater mm. to um yo dude how are you doing are you okay mm. i'm peter yeah but you can't be yeah, dude, mm. because you're gonna get to see the other side of Peter, kind yeah. of like thing, and they and they respect that, yeah. because it's I don't know, it's like old gangster respect, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore, you know. They, no, you see the people, you see them, and you and you you respect them, irrespective of whether they're on the same line or not, mm. um, you respect them because of what it has taken them to get where they are. Mm. But you, it's also because you see through the hustle and they recognize that. Yeah. You see That's through the see through their bullshit, you know. Mm. Um, on, on the Cape Flats is a saying the scallum is but you see through the scallum. <laughs> you know, I know I know what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm telling you I know what you're doing and I get why you're doing it, but you can't do it here. Yeah. Um, that misunderstanding I think in upper middle class neighborhoods, the relationship between the the um the destitute, the indigent, the homeless, mm. and and the people who reside in those neighborhoods, uh, who live there in in proper structures, um, that's always a problem. Mm. I mean, you have to go to any any neighborhood watch group and join the group and listen to the cuck they talk on these groups for oh, like yeah. ten minutes. You leave. Yeah, you know they'll talk about it, a Bravo male or a Charlie male or a Charlie female. Because they think it's politically correct to say that as opposed to saying a black guy wearing uh, green pants and, and, and a blue shirt. You know, I had an argument with somebody where they said, yeah, but that's the correct way to do it. I said, we don't use those terminologies on on, on a police radio. Mm. Um, it's been years since I've used since I've heard the, the the race being described of a person in a particular community, I, I hear age, I hear average height, I hear the vehicle they're driving, I hear gender, um, I hear what they are wearing, a detailed physical description, and I'm looking for that. Mm. I'm not profiling racially, so I'm looking for that thing. Um, and because they don't understand that, 
you know they 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 keep on doing they kind of like mm. and they perpetuate a racist narrative yeah they push your foot around the yeah just, the, just the, around just straight just say it the way that you're supposed to say it and fucking clap yeah um you and i have a very similar path to life you being a you being a whiskey male and me being a charlie male <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah we do but uh, uh, um yeah the packaging is different but you know sort of the the come-ups is almost the same mm -hmm. um you also came up in the in the law enforcement security industry yeah. field as a as a young guy how did you get into it so i was in a i was in a in a in a technical school all right like your rts and those things not mm. the donkey techs and um my dad and them had to move it was the end of standard eight mm. back in those days and uh he said to me i don't have the money to keep you in that school mm. so your choices are to either fail miserably for standard nine and ten and probably repeat it once or twice mm. because i have to catch up to subjects that i don't have mm. or i can go out and work mm. and i fucking flung myself out of the door easily <laughs> i just wanted to get out be on my own and be like uh so what do they call it? So I'd be able to support myself. Mm. So you left your father's house at that time? I did, yes. Okay. Yeah. How old were you? 18. Okay. Yeah. Almost 18. Yeah. And um, first I got, well, obviously first I didn't, I, fought, I first got a job with um, a farmer whose trucks picks up all of the produce and then takes them through to Epping Market from the, from the Macoland. Okay. And um, while I was busy doing this, my dad said to me, look, I've spoken to the guys from the security company and they, they would like to interview you. And um, yeah, I did the interview and then they brought, sent me to Cape Town for training and that's where it started really. I started off as a... Um, as an E-grade guard. A static guard. Yeah, All as right. a static guard. And before I knew it, uh, they sent me back for uh, for D and, and C. Mm -hmm. And um, I started working more like hospitals and that kind of thing. And um, in that period in time, phew, you know, I was living my own life, really. Mm -hmm. And the next thing, before my dad wiped his eyes out, I was in Citrus Doll. Uh, running the security there and then mm. before or working there for the same company and then when that company wiped their eyes out I'd already resigned and I'd moved to Cape Town mm. and um, I was riding the trains and I checked this guy come in that looked like Parat and uh, they had these shields on their belts and I was like yo dude who do you work for and he's mm. like no they work for C-Point Armed Response back in those days okay and um, Th that's like sort of mid 90s eh? yeah mm. yeah and uh, so, yeah, I sort of like got involved with them, and then somewhere along the line, I got, so I basically it was armed, it was armed response. Then it was uh, bodyguarding with the same company, mm -hmm. and um, they're one of the biggest companies now. But back in the day, it was Modern Burglar Alarms, yeah. and uh, and so so. so it went, I was there for a couple of years and then I fell with my ass in the butter and got into anti-poaching. Okay, that's um, quite nice. Yeah. Uh, locally, uh, coastal poaching or? or? Um, no, it was a guy that was here on leave. Okay. And he was working on the border of uh, Namibia and South Africa. Okay, so like game farms and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I got involved with that. And then um, we were working 
on a farm, man, closer to uh, Zim. Mm -hmm. When I met a couple of guys that came in uh, with uh, a different unit of people and we had to basically show them lay of the land and everything else. And I sort of struck a chord with one of the guys and he pulled me in. Mm. And um, yeah, before I knew it, I was working for a subsidiary company of, uh, I think. Mm. And uh, even though, like the guys come in and they give you training and stuff and it just snowballed. Yeah. And before I wiped my eyes out, I was like doing work deep in, deeper into other countries surrounding South Africa. Mm. But I, I think if you have the aptitude and people see it in you, because in that industry, uh, there's so few people who latch onto the skills that are required and, and you can't teach it in a, out of a handbook. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in the field, there's stuff that you have to look and listen for and you can read it in the manual. It, it doesn't hit the same it like doesn't. when you experience it. Yeah. You know, I, I remember um, working Kruger National Park. I had friends who were with a dog unit and a guy called Messi Cal used to, he made knives for these guys. And I went to go and visit him one day and he said, you know, you should really meet these guys. And the next occasion when they came in to come and collect their knives, because he had made them these hunting knives specifically for working in the park. And I met these guys and just a different breed. Yeah. I'd met some um, uh, members of Marsak Marines and they kind of reminded me of that a little bit unhinged, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but just enough so that uh, they're crazy enough to go out there for like two weeks at a time with no support. Yeah, and um, yeah, pretty much uh, what I was up to. Myself and a friend, um, um, Ricardo Mangel, would go out into the bush with them and patrol with these guys for two weeks at a time. So they were the dog, they had the dogs. And the thing about that is that when they out there with the dog uh, and they're looking, the dog's bird dogging and they're looking for whatever he's looking at and they, they are deeply uh, focused on the task at hand, mm. right? Mm. They're not watching their back. Mm. So that was our job um, to make sure that nothing came up from behind. So we had, we had like, uh, we had 180 behind them and they could follow whatever they needed to do from from that f that frontal observation point um and i enjoyed it i mean two weeks in the bush you get to see all, all kinds of wildlife and you get to eat some of them too which was which was fantastic i mean obviously i think finding an animal uh murdered is the only term that i can use mm. um it rocks you to your core especially the way that they do it yeah. yeah, it's, uh, I didn't, so, yeah, so staff that came in and, and, and trained us were very loosely lipped, mm. not loosely lipped, they were loose, they were, they were, they wouldn't say that. So the, the, they were tight lipped, yeah. Yeah, sorry, tight lipped to, to that extent, but, um, so we would, they would ask us to, um, oh, we, don't you want to do us an anti-poaching job over there? And then, uh, just so by the way, don't you just want to just check certain things for us, mm. kind of like thing? And it's like intel gathering almost, I mm. want to say. Mm. But, yeah, we had very little to do with them. For me, I got most of my training from my, from the back in the days that from the people that my dad called terrorists. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, um, 
at first I was uh, very much an outcast and they didn't close around me for, for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they saw that um, I, didn't, I didn't give up and uh, that no matter how much abuse they threw at me, I, I was always there. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually one of them sort of started showing me how to, how to track certain spoor. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I wiped my eyes out, I had a whole team of eight guys, all from different parts of Africa, mm-hmm. um, teaching me bushcraft. And it was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Coming across sites, I've, you know, you think that when you have, when you get told about terrorism and terrorists and all of that kind of stuff, and you, you form a picture in your mind of what kind of people these are. And the first thing that normally comes over your lips is, is because they do terror attacks, which would be soft targets, like what they did with St. James over here. Yeah. Um, you, you, so you think to yourself, oh, animals, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and then you get to meet some of the people who was actively fighting for this country mm. back in those days on both sides of the line. And, and then you get to meet the real them, who they really are, and how um, coming across a group of uh, elephants that have been fucking, they've put landmines down mm. and on the path of the, of the elephants. And it's horrible, yeah. the, stuff, the, the, the stuff that you see. And then um, cutting off paws and tusks and leaving them there and sometimes they're not even dead when we get there mm. and that like fucking eats you up uh. I can imagine yeah and I used to watch the passion that it drives these people in mm. and you sit and watch after and we when you pick up the spoor and you don't fucking stop dude because yeah. you want them that bad and, you, and, it's, and it's a it's a it's a steady jog yeah. along the line pass and you can't wait for the guy to catch the next snap in the tw- twig the next depression the next fold in the leaf you can't wait for him to catch it because you just want to go all mm. the time and you can almost smell the closer you get you can almost I, I, I can I know you're in the bush so long and you're not you're not succumbing to whiskey you're not succumbing to there's no smoking while you're mm. out there really mm. if you're gonna smoke it's gonna be something fucking horrible mm. and um, and a lot of the guys are like <laughs> I don't know how they do it mm. or how I got to do that your cigarettes are left there in the base dude now you know you're on it mm. and uh, once you've been four or five days in the bush and you haven't had a bath mm. you, your smell senses, your senses, and everything changes. It becomes alive. Yes, it does. It's like you become part of part of the animal instinct where we come mm. from. I would say, mm. um, yeah, fuck it. Those are good days. I think that that regression. Um, I remember working with Americans. I don't. A lot of them who were just infantry didn't quite understand it. Mm. Um, but infantry coming, does it for a job sometimes. Y- yeah, they, they didn't quite understand. But the guys who were pros, who were lifers, who were in mm. for they were specialized yeah you know um they got it they understood how important it was for that regression to take place some of the guys were so intense that when they came off patrol which usually it could be a day anywhere from a day to two weeks and they come back in and um they just go off on their own to try and keep that because they know over seven days they're going back out again and they don't want to lose it because it'll take them two, three days to get to that point of regression where they sort of, they're almost like like a Native American warrior mm. on the plains, just 
you're hunting you're on on on, on, on foot and you're hunting because you can't have mechanical vehicles they'll smell the diesel a mile away so <clears throat> sorry um, in that cold thick air so these guys are just I, I, I remember a line from a from an old Japanese movie where the guy says I can run three days off a bowl of rice that's the kind of mentality that yeah. you that you develop yeah. but that seeing that kind of stuff I mean with uh, with the security work with the poaching work um, from my own experience it, it creates a lot of PTSD I mean for me that's something that I've that I deal with today still yeah what was what was it like for you so contacting the bush is different to contacting the cities mm. so your your bush contact I always found is like more of a distance thing mm. and not not very far but it's it's distance thing unless they, they've been waiting for you yeah and lay ambush and shit but um, at first I, it didn't touch me at all mm. because Men don't cry. What, yeah. did they, what was that saying? Cowboys don't cry when yeah. the horses do die. Yeah. And um, I zipped that shit up tighter than a nun's, uh, you know what. Mm-hmm. So um, packing it down uh, was one thing. Um, I would lose my shit if I lose somebody. Yeah. The guys that you lose are normally the ones that are um, the ones that shouldn't be lost. Mm. And you always like it's probably horrible to say that. Sometimes after the fact that I sit and I watch the, the guys that I'm with and I think, why didn't they take that cunt out? <laughs> 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 oh, shit. You know? <laughs> um, so when when I came like Years later, um, like I, I never went back home after that, or, or when, when I left the home. And years later, when I did, I had a sit down with my dad, and we had a, we had a. My dad was very tight lipped about his bush days, mm. and um, we had a sort of like a little bit of a sit down. It was the first time that he opened up to me, and he told me about his experience and stuff. And he, he said to me, he found it like he was very disappointed that I went to, to basically work with them. Mm. Um, and uh, he didn't quite understand my my mind and why I would do that, especially after all the shit that they've been through and the friends that he's lost and all of that. And try explaining to my dad that those people that you fought were not those people there. They might fall under the same flag, they might have been somewhere in the same vicinities, they might have participated, but those people in their core mm. are not are not that. We become we become animals when we need to affect a change when we are being Yeah. Uh, what's the word? When when you're being denied your rights, yeah, yeah. you will fucking become whatever it needs to be able to be what you think that you, that you deserve. It's an anarchic, organic yes. process that takes yeah. place. I, I have to do this to better my circumstances. Yeah, to affect a decent outcome down the line. Yeah. So, yeah, so we had that conversation and I watched my dad unzip years of um, PTSD. Mm. <laughs> and we sat there, we had a great cry together. And my dad's just the first time he's ever really spoken about it. Mm. And his life's tra- tra- trajectory. I'm amazed at how he didn't 
lie down and not get back up kind mm. of thing that he didn't start drinking and throw his life away and cut like that um i think i think i ever i saw more action than what he did mm. um especially uh, when i got involved with the um cash and transit guys mm. fuck dude that's it's fuck it that's vicious and it's a total it's like a mind fuck you, you you're working with four guys in a van just before you say yeah. talk about the cash and transit just just to touch on go back to what you said about your dad yes you might have seen more action but I think the the mental um, assault that your dad went through uh, at the time was probably times by a factor of 10 I wouldn't. I would agree with you there because when he told me the stuff that the that their own government, mm. fucking kids that they weren't old enough to buy a drink, yeah. but they put a gun in their hand and said to them go kill people, yeah, um, and then sits them down in rooms and shows them footage of what the terrorists apparently has have done to mm. people, and I, I sometimes wonder if the the. The images that they were shown mm. didn't do more scarring, and well, that mental preparation that 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 the South African Army did in those days. So they, I mean, like fuck it, they were great. Yeah. They, were, they were great at sort of like doctrinal, sort of yeah. like creating a dogma around something that yeah. wasn't true. And that parathet, yeah, and that kind of thing. And those, and they'll be brothers to the end, dude. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, how much better mm. South Africa is gonna get. They will always know their days and their people that they lost. But yeah, I, yeah, he probably did on an emotion. I think he's. I always thought my dad, my dad's such a strong person, mm. and um, uh, I think I realized later on in life, really, mm. um, after these like kind of discussions and stuff, and if I had to like really think back on living with him mm. as a child, going to school, um, a, a lot of his choices mm. make sense to me because he was very much he was a kind of okay you'll bribe us but he won't eat with us he's very happy to go and sit there outside in the backyard doing the brying mowing the lawn and finishing off three bottles of brandy quickly mm. no problem mm. <laughs> and he would never take it out on us yeah uh, kind of like thing he wasn't that kind of a person but yeah it's sort of the if you look at some of the traits the personality traits of those who have been mm. through shit yeah. Yeah, I quite. I didn't know how to, how he was going to receive me the first time I met him when uh, we when we rode out to um, Oatswan. Um and I didn't I didn't quite know up until the end when we were leaving when mm-hmm. we were going to leave, uh, and he took us to the shell hole and you know gave us a tour which was really really cool. Um, seeing all that um, old World War II memorabilia that, yeah. was, that was something else and then he shook my hand and he said um, I appreciate you brother um, and one of the guys I can't remember who it is I don't know was Smokey with us? Can't no Smokey wasn't with us no. he had probably already left yeah um, and then it was sort of one of the guys asked okay so like you know what's that's that all about it's so I said to them it's when somebody sees you and they know yeah then they will that's all the recognition that you need and that's all that they'll give you so my dad's words to me after after that <laughs> he said to me um, nice group of guys I said right and he says um, 
the small black money ke mm. I said right he says yeah that one I like him he says <laughs> <laughs> so I said oh really he says yeah I, I, he says to me he's, he, there were certain things that you asked and said that sort of um, made him realise that you've sort of run in his footsteps in certain places mm. um and he said, he said that he basically you could sum me up in your demeanor, I want to say. Yeah. Something similar to that effect. He says, yeah, like I boy here. Yeah, we, I, I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to talk to him and, and um, interact with him quite a bit after that, which uh, I'm grateful for. Um, I think we need to salute the great men in our society. Yeah. You know, regardless of where they come from. I mean, greatness comes in various forms. So I'm, I'm grateful to him. And may his soul rest in peace. Totally. So, transit, cash in transit. I mean, I've been in a couple of situations in cash in transit where I have arrived on the scene and it's in progress. So we're moving through the traffic, trying to get close because we can't get to where with the shit sitting in the fan. Shit sitting in the fan because they've clogged up the whole highway, and there's maybe three hundred meters between us and whatever's going on on scene. So we're moving between the vehicles, and and my point of departure for or or, or my point yeah my point of departure for for cash and transit is that fucking sound of an AK-47 round as it rips through three or four cars it rips through glass and sheet metal mm -hmm. it, it kind of reminds me of flicking a, a page that's the sound it makes when it goes through uh, sheet metal um, what they do in the movies it doesn't fucking it doesn't compare no all. they've got fucking zero idea what, what those sounds actually um, are like I think um, it's like Accidents, mm. that first point of impact, mm. that sort of like it makes your blood, it makes your blood curdle, and you're you're like, oh fuck, really? Mm. You know, it's like that sickening feeling, mm. and that that AK's first round, a clank, mm. and that rush of the of the round that hits your vehicle. It's mm. like, oh fuck, and then you a clank, a clank, and then you switch over. Mm. It's like instant almost. Mm. But if you've got that instinct, though, yes, because I've seen guys, um, I've seen them lose it. Their brain doesn't refuses to accept what they are hearing and what what those sounds really are, mm. and jumping into action, their brains stop there somewhere. It's like they they don't want to believe that they are that is happening that this is happening uh, yeah I call it the dodo mentality uh -huh. where you should be fucking ducking <laughs> and you're like what's going on is absolutely that's the <laughs> and then whack and then you're like ah oh, fuck if you only ducked you mm. know I've, I've arrived already at a the, the first time that I was part of uh, a situation that was like that the guys were hitting the truck on the forecourt mm. of a gas station and three of the guys walked into the wimpy to rob the wimpy and the, and the customers in the wimpy. That's how we found out. And um, uh, a couple of us was um, sitting having breakfast. Uh, we were doing a two-day drive uh, from Durban to, to back to Cape Town, very slow cruise from the bluff. And um, they came in and now we're sitting in a booth 
and I said to the the one guy that was sitting on the end, which was, he was a brother, he, he didn't have any skills. He wasn't like like the rest of us. So I said, let me sit on the end. He's like, yeah, but I'm taller. I said, okay, then take the knife and you fucking put it into that guy's chin. Mm. Mm. He's like, what do you mean? I said, he's coming in here to rob everybody. So either you let me sit on the end so I can deal with him because it's going to get pretty fucking crazy pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and command initiate was going to be the blade going into the guy. Mm. Uh, it was only when we got to the front where the teller was after we had neutralized the three guys or the four guys that was inside the the the, the um, wimpy that we heard the the unmistakable sound of an AK-47, that lagging, lazy, mm-hmm. repetitive sound. Um, that's when we that's when we knew that okay, this is much bigger than what it was. And we went out there blazing um, in, in their blaze and tried to assess. At the end of it, I mean, um, I think there was three who died um, uh, on the scene, uh, um, bad guys. Um, and there was two uh, people, two uh, customers that were, were injured. But I'm more interested about you're on the vehicle because mm. I, I don't have that experience. So my first, my second heist, my first heist was done by Spa. Mm. This is where? Uh, in between Peter Marisburg and Durban. Okay. And I heard pop, 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 and I'm like, who the fuck is playing with, with crackers? Mm. And then the fourth pop went, and I was like, whoa, this mm. is not what I'm thinking. But the first pop, uh, I must say, I, I was quite... It hit me completely off guard. Mm. Um, I was sitting in the van. I heard pop, pop, pop. And my vision had already seen my Alim guy mm. drop and somebody yanking the gun. And then I heard a pop. And then I heard the doom, doom, doom of the Alim. And then shit just fucking broke loose. And people were running from, guys were running from this side. Um, shooting at the van but nothing was coming through mm. and then I was the driver for the day and then uh, my run com- the guy who runs this, who's our, our big boy in the, in the mm. run comes running towards the car and he grabs the he grabs the the, the, the handle he tries to open it and I'm like and I lean over and as I open it he looks back and he pushes the, the, the door shut mm. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, if I take the van out of the situation, then the fighting stops. Mm. Well, that's sort of like what they, what they train you. Mm. Oh, it was like part of the training then. Mm. And um, fucking put foot through the, um, so you, where, where the spa is, I think my brain just fucking shut down at that point. And uh, I drove down that, the little piece and there's a couple of houses. As you know, it's like a, a slight left and a slight right and then there's a couple of houses there. And that's all that is there. And I raced to the, with the van um, through, the, through the window, through the, the, the uh, people's fence and they had a roll-up garage door and I basically parked the van inside their garage. Mm. And jumped out with a protector shotgun and the BXP and I went running back around the corner by that time everything was almost done and then there were guys jumping up around me but when I pulled away with the van it was as if in slow motion I saw a clean cut guy Mm. black guy with a Z88 Mm. and I looked at him I was like 
Hey yo push, jy is vir sy politieman natuurlijk. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, like it happens only like in seconds kind of like thing. And I came running back and I saw them all piling into a car and driving and I cu- plucked off a couple of shots. That was the first case in transitized. And it was like my dope fear mm. for what happened there. And I realized I wasn't ready for urban, for urban uh, warfare. Yeah, because it's like fucking right. Yeah, it's mm. in your face kind of like thing. Because it's this arming. You, you are expecting... Um, I mean, you put out and you're looking around. Yeah, but, but you... But, but you still... You, you, I think you're disconnected. As I think especially... I, I got my taste of sort of urban warfare in all four major gang wars in the Cape Flats, but the, that opening days uh, just after the elections, 94, 95... Mm. Uh, 96 as well was rough times in, in South Africa it was so people are walking they're going up to the KFC they're going to get fucking chicken and burgers and kids are walking home from school and everything is normal as it should be in conventional society and then all of a sudden shit breaks loose mm. then you're like what the fuck is going on you've got to respond to this shit now but you've got to pluck your brain out of conventionality to urban warfare which almost doesn't track most of the time no for me yeah look for, for me it didn't because we've always getting into contact in the bush for me was um watching our tracker mm. fucking disappear like a ghost my man and then we know shit's about to hit the fan and as soon as he disappears like you're already stopping and you're like you want to go down but you're waiting for your leader to show you what we're doing mm-hmm. and um so you have like a sort of a i want to i want to say you're almost ready for it Mm. in this you're not unless yeah. you are the overwatch mm. you you're in the thick of it mm. and you're I think your your time for stepping out of the vehicle and doing your 360 uh, reconnaissance and it's and it's a step-by-step thing it's the 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 what's your name that's the closest to you to the so it's like the, you have levels. It's your first level threat, which is the people who are the closest to you. Then it's those above them, and then it's the ones right at the back. Mm-hmm. But you in the vehicle, it's your job to assess immediate threat assessment. And jumping out of a vehicle and being on a on a schedule where you need to service fucking five to six banks mm-hmm. um, on a on a rural run that is, and you're stopping in eight towns, nine towns, and your first town is you leave at office three and you get there maybe at eight o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, so you've got you've to run it, you know? Mm. And uh, after my first, after my first ice, when I walked in, I said, fuck you, I will never ever again take a vehicle. Mm. I want to be the alley man. Because we told that fucking oak how many times, don't stand on that corner because it's a, it's a, it's like a slate corner. It's like, yeah. Um, if you you're are totally paying exposed yeah if you're paying attention yeah the oak is going to walk up behind you and pop you and that is exactly what happened to him mm. um, and from there I was like fuck that and every time that we did um, uh, the, what they call intermediate training and they want to stick you into you doing the time like fuck you I'm either going to be that guy or I'm going to be the guy that does overwatch mm. and that's the and I, I bullied my way into that position mm. and I was Alleman and I didn't take shit from that either so um, I had a bit of foresight mm. into the others that happened um, but you don't always get to protect your team the way that you think you can on the day the fucking cards fall Yo. in a way that you it, it also depends on how 
smart your team is, mm. you know, and to and to build a team, especially in your environment. My environment was a lot easier because um, at some point when I had ranked, I could then pick a team, I could build them, and they could stay with me for a long time. Yeah. The only time that I'd be fucked is if we rotated out and we had to go back for deployment off, then you fuck because now you've got a new group of guys who gets pulled in from wherever. But for you, every shift might be different. Because of security. Yeah. Uh, due to security. So just before I started with this company, they, um, they had in us um, cash and transit where the fucking... Guy sitting in with the atom in the back uh, is the is the middle guy, and he just fucking leans over forward and pops both the driver and the Shit. and the, the team leader and climbs out the rustach and opens up the back, let the guys take the stuff and they shoot him in the shoulder or and deck him some, and he got away with that. For from what I understood was like two heists. And Jeez, then, and then they nailed him. But to sit with you in in a hole. Unless you, you're running rural. Um, so rural teams get to keep the guys more or less because you're building up a team that can react and work off each other. Mm. Um, ATM teams is a different story. It's a different uh, story. They also try and keep them as a team, but because of that shit, they, okay, today you're working with those guys and those guys are working here and, and so it goes. Yeah, they have to con- control the OPSEC. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, and I've, I have found that working with the, at the risk of signing racist, <laughs> And working with the old white boys, you have a, a bigger, a better chance of coming home um, intact without shit eating the fan than with some of the um, some of the Durbanites here, my lani. Mm. They would they would they will sling the 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 rifle and start talking to the cherries walking past. Yeah. And when I was working tactical, I would often we would drive past these guys and go. Get back in your fucking van. Mm. You're the driver. Or you see the guy, he props his arm up against the wall and he thinks because he's in a courtyard of the bank, he thinks it's Everything fine. Is fine yeah. And it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And the amount of people that throws guns down. Mm. We've been having erratic rain, eh? Yeah, it's crazy. But I like it. It's nice. Yeah. So and watching how many people throw their guns down, and that's that's not just the fucking that's across the board guys. But, but that's because the older guys, um, the older white guys, they come from a time where they went through that indoctrination like your dad yeah. had to go through. Yeah. So, so they were still in it at that time period yeah. that you're talking about. And a lot of them are still in it now, you know, with, with some of the stuff that we're seeing in the news, with the way that they're reacting on farms. I think there's two guys that are in court now for um, aggravated assault or assault GBH as it's called here um, uh, for beating up a, one of their workers but they come from that that time and, and it's difficult for us to get past that point mm. I always say there's there's a lot of value in some of the stuff that was taught at that time yeah. uh, in a country like South Africa we need to be aware of the skills that come from that time and we need to try and retain them as much as we possibly can because we're going to need them going forward yeah, unfortunately the human character I think our, our biggest flaw is the pride and because because we can't look past the color barrier mm. a lot of us can't mm. um, and when I say us I mean white people mm. um, because they can't do that, they don't have the ability to see the use of all of us together. Yeah. It's, 
that's why I kept on saying there was this one uh, Zulu guy that I worked with quite often well actually he was in the Bele yeah. and he fucking hates the the, um, the, 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 the Indian fellows but the more more so the uh, there's another uh, stum of, of black guys from, from Zim. Uh, can't think now. Okay. And he fucking hated them. Uh-huh. And it's like, but why? And he would say, and he would start talking about stuff that comes from the 1800s. Yeah, <laughs> stuff that he's been taught by his grandmother, and you know, that he's been told in it. And that he didn't even live through. Yeah, he didn't even live yeah. through any of that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that if I wasn't sitting in the van and was somebody of a different color having a conversation with him, he would have admitted to how much he hates the fucking white people as well. Possibly. And um, it was interesting working with these kind of guys. Mm. Because once you once you get past these defenses of that that we all have are oh, you, you white or are oh, you black what would you know kind of like shit once you get past that point and you can actually tap into his true nature and chat to him about things and, and you watch the he was oh yo you're not such a bad photo I, I read that a lot eh? oh you're not such a bad photo kind <laughs> like the guys do I have this uh, this mushy on my body like that one yeah, there and I'd yeah. say to the guys that's my real colour the rest is birthmark bro <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my coloured friends are like nah man bro this is coloured to the bone you know? <laughs> but yeah so you, if we could get past that and realise that we are all we are all valuable mm. but we need to also understand that you are valuable where you fit in mm. and we all want to be higher up Mm. And we, we don't understand that there's a hierarchy for everybody. We can't all be that guy or that guy or that guy. And once you like sort of, and I know like a lot of people say to you, yeah, but you shouldn't limit yourself like that. It's not about limiting yourself. It's about making yourself valuable. Mm. And if the opportunity, then you grab it. Yeah. But, you but talk, anyway. But, but, but you're talking about, um, and I had a conversation with somebody the other day. Um, Spend less time trying to fit in, and creating a place, and, and spend more time creating a place where you belong. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you'll be so much fucking happier if you just did that. Um, I wouldn't have had that 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 kind of thought process had it been for the bike accident. Mm. I think I've always I've always known about it, uh, but I don't think I've ever really realized it. Yeah. The bike accident lying on the floor there. Your thought was gonna die. Mm. Um, and pulling through all of that shit uh, and uh, realizing how much PTSD I have because mm. it hits you like a fucking sledgehammer kind of, like, like, you, like you don't understand I think the thing for me was going through my first divorce <coughs> um, I'd been working in I'd been working for a company called uh, uh, City International I think so we would train up door-to-door sales guys, take them to Johannesburg, get them to work there, and then uh, you. C- but you're up there for like a month, so six weeks to a month, two months at a mm-hmm. time, and then you come home for a weekend or a week if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And I took a hammering on my on my on my married life, not from a point of view of where uh, I couldn't stay faithful, mm-hmm. from a point of where my wife was alone at home, mm-hmm. my then wife, my ex-wife now. Um, so when you come home and you've been through all of this that we've just spoken about mm. and you like sort of like that person that you share your life with 
I, I think we have the wrong idea of what a wife should actually be. And for me, she is my two I see, mm. you know, or if I'm not the two I see sometimes. So to come home to having somebody that's moved on from you and that betrayal that, you, that you've got mm. to experience, and um, because when you get married, nobody thinks about divorce or you must. No, because you believe in the fairy tale. You like it's yeah. like it's, the, the the prince gets the princess and live happily ever. Yes, after. absolutely. And there's no fucking challenges in life. You have your white picket fence with your two and a half kids running around. The, the fuck up with it is that you you are two separate people with two separate lives, and not trying to build one life. Yeah. yeah, and that's a fuck up. You still have to be two separate people with two separate lives, but you must have one goal. Yes. That's the difference. That's I mean, it's it's no way should you, no way should your wife have to give up her dreams. Yeah. And no way should you have to give up your dream within reason, of course. Yes. But no way should it be a case where I'm not going to do that anymore because now I'm married and I, I have to stop doing it. Yeah. Or I I I get irritated when guys say oh, I have to ask the wife. The terms like the wife or wifey or like. Motherfucker, I hate those terms. You I know? have a mate that's like that. He's just he's just come back. He works in Angola mm-hmm. uh, on one of the diamond mines, I think. Uh, securities. He's in the security stuff there. And uh, so he's come down and he was like quite horrified with my crash and everything. He wasn't quite sure if he could ask me to go with him because he wanted to go bike hunting. I was like, fuck it, dude. Come on. Come mm-hmm. pick me up. Let's go look at bikes, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's bought himself a sweet ride okay. um, at uh, Twist of Twist of the Wrist. It's uh, one of those Harleys that's upstairs, the grey one. Mm. And uh, he was like, "Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna spin this past the wife here." And I was like, "What? What the fuck, dude?" Yeah. I said to him, "Please explain to me why do you why why do you feel that you need to first explain to her or, or mm. why?" And he was like, "Oh, I might have to buy it and hide it at your house." What the fuck? <laughs> I said to him, "Dude." I think I need to. I need you to stop being my friend until your balls have dropped. <laughs> <laughs> just go to your wife's handbag and yeah. tell me if you can find these two little things that look like grapes. Yeah. If it's in there, it's yours. Yeah. You know. And I said to him, like, dude, you you are living a shit lifestyle being away from them. Mm. Um, they are fucking doing what they need to do. Yeah, and they have a normal life, mm. except for now she doesn't have a husband around her. Mm. So she is, and she's not working. Mm. So he's footing the ball for everything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think if you're in a position to be able to support, to do something like that, great for you. I don't come out of those those realms. For me, my wife, we are Chinese parliament. Mm. We will discuss things together, but it's not about asking for permission. Mm. It's about keeping her up to date about what my choices are and what I want to do. And you don't have the right to tell me I cannot do that mm. or I cannot do this. It doesn't work like that, but you do have the right to say, I have a fear that this might happen or that that might happen, kind of like thing. Mm. Um, Anyway, so he says to me, oh, yeah, he's going to have to first run and pass wife. Or, uh, maybe I'll just put down a deposit and uh, let them keep it. So eventually I, I sent him a message. I said, listen, you dude, you work fucking hard mm. and you are exposed out there in the elements of the, I mean, like they run. The beak is not fun at the moment. Yeah, and he's like sort of on the cusp there in between Angola and Mozambique and stuff. Mm. And there's a lot of shit happening just down the road from them. And so he's sort of like walking on eggshells, really. So Mm. why can you not come home and treat yourself to a toy? Mm. Uh, Apart from that, I mean, just, you know, Mm -hmm. getting onto a bike and and riding and not knowing where you're going to end up. um, You probably save yourself a lot of money in therapy. just. I did. 
I you did. Um, the amount of times that I've just climbed on and fucked off. Yeah. Before I met my now wife, mm. um, there was a stage where like, I, I had the bike and I had absolutely nowhere to go and I had a ton of cash in my bank account from mm. this previous job. Um, and I like I lost it because I, I got involved in drugs and shit, so mm. I did a lot of drugs. And um, coincidentally, the cash and transit, when we would do rural runs, mm. I'd be busting a fucking button pipe in the back. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> to um, just to like sort of get my head straight because mm. once you've once you've busted a button fuck it dude you will you will go through walls to do what if you what you've set your sights on mm. you will do that so if there's 20 tons of gravel that needs to go from there to there you will fucking run it with a I spade can, dude. I can attest to that when I was a <laughs> when I was a kid I used to work um, on job sites for Marion Roberts during the December holidays mm. and after tea time or after lunch I saw countless guys walking off the third or the fourth story just fucking walking right off the building <laughs> or you put them in a place you say clear that cavity you'll fucking clear that cavity in no time yeah they don't look up just after busting a pipe yeah uh, you, you need that you need that few minutes to earth first and to like uh, it's a very home drug actually but mm. yeah to get, just get over yourself for the first five minutes and, I, and I'd be back here in the back of the vehicle and I'll come back around and there's fucking slot all over <laughs> me <and laughs> um, good no we're good um and uh, like, but once you come out of that stupor and you're like, okay, this is where I am, and you like smell the gun grease and what has happened weeks prior, mm. and you you get that like little trickle up the back of your neck that where your hair stands on end, and you like just it's like somebody reaches reaches in from the back and like sort of puppets you into zone mode, yeah, kind of thing. And for the biking, it was the faster I could go on the bike. It was as if it was as if there's a demon inside of you that fucking pulls out of your eyes mm. and you like focused on that shit and you like vroom. but yeah fucking interesting though because it's not the speed that they got you into the accident no it, a, absolutely nothing to do with speed or b- with being reckless you were crossing the intersection at your right of way and somebody yeah somebody jumped, 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 jumped the red robot and, and, and fucking man. slammed into you yeah fucking slammed into me I wasn't expecting him. He, you know, you'd start learning to, to read traffic. And I, I saw him coming, but I saw the nosedive of the car. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'm cool. And as I accelerated, it's like as if my vision stopped right there. Mm. Again, I think my my eyesight at that moment and what it, and the, the happening, uh, they, they, they couldn't, mm. they weren't playing together kind yeah. of thing. And that sickening crash. And I was like, oh, fuck, really? But loss of loss of, of, of vision, and then uh, feeling that okay, I've I've just been hit, um, and I'm being that sickening feeling of the of the crunch sound, mm-hmm. and the the tumbling, and I hit my head against something, and I tumbled some more, and I realized I need to put myself down flat, mm-hmm. because if I'm sliding, then your the chances of you breaking bones and shit is like far less mm-hmm. than tumbling and yeah. all of that kind of shit and more resistance because there's more area that's right and as I hit the ground I think the second time it's like my vision came back and I was sliding towards the pavement but it was like I was sliding cock fast I didn't, I didn't feel like I was going to stop mm. and I had my feet in front of me and I could see that my right foot wasn't wasn't responding and I was like I didn't pick up on anything and then my feet hit the pavement and I watched my right foot come up at me and a, 
a puff of pink, which is probably blood, and my vision disappeared, but my auditory mm. was there. Mm. I could hear everything, and there was this sudden jerk, and I was flown into the air, and I landed hard. And I opened up my eyes, and the first thing that went through my mind was, put yourself in a recovery position. Mm. Fuck knows where that came from. And I grabbed my right leg, and I threw myself over onto my left side. Mm. And as I threw myself over, I watched my leg come, my foot come afterwards, and it dropped down, and I could see it. And the first thought that went through my mind is, that's fucked. <laughs> and then I heard myself screaming. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm. And I forced myself to stop screaming, and I closed my eyes, and I just said to myself, breathe. Mm. Just breathe into it. And I was like trying to hold on to my leg. And we had done enough um, discussions and exercises on yeah. breathing uh, at the, up to yeah. that point already, years already. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's, it's also like uh, part of our training way back in the day. After you get through a firefight or in the firefight, just breathe. Dude. Get your adrenaline dump. Yeah. Manage, your, manage your adrenaline dump. Yeah. Manage your glucose dump. Yeah. And um, so I threw myself over to, onto my left side. And I just laid with my eyes closed and I just breathed. And then I opened up my eyes and I saw my foot. And I saw this fucking young little shit taking photos of my, of my, of my foot. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Why don't you come here and shove it up your ass kind of like thing. <laughs> I was ballet. And then at the, at the same time, I, I heard high heels running from behind. And it's a, a woman who used to work with me at, mm. uh, at, at the locksmith shop. And I'm looking over and I see the driver and I start verbally abusing the driver. But at the same time, I hear this, I hear this woman, oh, I pray the blood of Christ over you. And then all this going through my mind is, what is Christ going to do with this? <laughs> I just want to fuck that guy up. Kind of, <laughs> Help me, let me crawl over to this motherfucker. <laughs> and and she said, no, Peter, no, no, Peter. Like, and uh, I realized when I, looked, when I looked back, when she said to me, you're fine, you're fine. I said, I'm not. Look at my leg. And she immediately started praying the blood of Christ over my mm. foot. And I realized, okay, well, and I think that's when the, the shock started setting in because my, my hands got hot. Mm. So I got my gloves off and I took my helmet off. And instantly I thought about the last time I had an accident, the mm. fuckers robbed me. So mm. instantly I emptied my pockets and I put it inside my helmet mm. and I had on that little fucking piss board. It's not even a real helmet, man. Mm. And I put everything in there and I pulled my phone out. Do you remember that when you were with us when, when I when I threw my bike in uh, coming down Bainscliff Pass? No, I had the, the shooting range was dedicated to me that That's day, right. so I didn't go along. So on that day, my, my phone, I fell on that phone that I remember. It was like, it was a curve. It I was curved for, to me afterwards, yeah. <laughs> for how long I had that phone, it's yeah. still curved. And I pulled the phone out and I was like, fuck Apple, dude. It's like such an expensive <laughs> fucking phone. Hey, the shit that you think of. I'm fucking busy bleeding out on the pavement and I'm like, get on my phone. But like everything's in a tunnel and I see, and nobody's, it's, it's almost as if everybody's got their back turns toward me. But living in the area for eight years, you like, you get to know the people who, the, the guys who live on the street. Mm. And there's this one guy, Martin, mm. black guy lives under the bridge. And he came running and... As I was busy in the process of sliding, of pulling everything out of my pockets and stuff, he slid in underneath me and he pulled my head down. He's like, don't worry, brother, I've got you. I saw it. I saw it. And I was like, thank you, man. And I said, like, just give me a moment. And I looked at my phone. My phone was fine. But it didn't look like anybody was phoning the ambulance or nobody was communicating with me. So the only thing I could think of is my wife had taken leave, which is uh, she had to do, um, she had to do some... 
studying and prepping stuff for her end exams for the studying psychology and uh, it's the only person I could think of mm. and I dialed her I said to her, listen I've just been in an accident I think my foot is off please help and I put the phone down and I stuck the phone in the helmet and Martin pulled my head down on, on onto his lap and I, I remember thinking fuck this guy's pants stinks <laughs> <laughs> but I'm lying there and I'm holding my foot and I'm like dude your pants it's fucking <laughs> it's hard it's horrible <laughs> And I like to, so I said, so I just like slid, just so that my, my nose wasn't like in his crotch, basically, I mm. want to say, like in the middle of his pants. So I just slid it sideways. It was like, it was rough. And it was like, I can't explain it to you. I didn't, I, I felt his still rock up. Mm. Yo. In that time, through all of the shit that he's going on, I'm thinking to myself, fuck, I'm going to bleed to death. Mm. With the amount of blood that's coming out of my leg. And um, first, first there was a cyclist, and he was like, he was like pressing down on me, and I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I said mm. to him, and I looked up, and it was this, it was this white guy with like round glasses and like dorky looking dude. Mm. I said, "No, man, I'm trying to give you some good vibes." I'm like, "Fuck off, you good vibes! <laughs> <laughs> You're hurting me." <laughs> so he like, so he's like, you can see he took offense to it, and as he's about to get up, some other dude on the bike stops, and he looks at him, and he goes. You're gonna be okay. I'm a. I. I am a doctor, and I was like, okay. And I didn't see him again. Mm. And directly after that, it was like I felt calm mm. before anything. Before my wife touched my shoulder, mm. and I was like, I thought I was gonna die. I was gonna be able to see her again. Mm. Um, and she was. I have. I must say, she's probably the strongest person I know. Mm. Woman that I know. Um, she, the minute that she put her, her hand on my shoulder, I was like, I'm going to be okay now. Mm. And I, I like sort of calmed down and I just closed my eyes and she said to me, just, just breathe. And 15 minutes after that, it felt like 15 minutes after that, um, the first responder rocked up and he gave me some, some tube to breathe through. Mm. Fuck, dude, I would like to get some more of that stuff. That mm. stuff was divine. It's like, it felt like... It felt like my body. It felt like somebody had taken a blowtorch to my body. Mm. And it felt like my body was burning like a motherfucker. Mm. And he said to me, just breathe through this. You'll be fine. Mm. So you breathe through it. But she, she was controlling it. Because there's, a, there's a hole in it that... So you can either take the, your, your thumb off to make it less potent or put the thumb on. And he shoves it into my mouth. And I'm about to grab it. And my wife says, I'll, I'll control that. And I, <laughs> and I grabbed the thumb and I put it down over the water. Like, and I took the first hit. And he said to me... As soon as you feel like you're gonna dip out, they just just take your finger off. Yeah, right? take your finger off, and I just held on to it, and I said, mm. and I breathed through the thing. And after my second second drag of this thing, I was like, oh fuck! It felt like my brain had just sort of mm. click click took the seatbelt off and went to go sit next to itself. Yeah, next to my body, and I was like, I was okay. And I don't remember anything after that until I woke up in that um, ICU, the, 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 the ICU. The waiting area for the ICU. Yeah. Um, in the ICU there, they've got like, uh, when I first woke up, I was like... The trauma recovery, I think it was, eh? Yeah, it's, it's the place where they put the people who are dying, who could be dying, mm. kind of like shit. It's the, uh, before they go into surgery kind of mm. thing. And the, my first thoughts when I opened up my eyes was, I don't remember anything after taking my second breath through that pipe until I woke up there. Mm. So my wife filled in the gap for me. She said to me, the first responder, the first guy who came out, the first paramedic, I forget his name, I think it was Jock. 
um, he waited for the ambulance guy to come. The ambulance guy only came 10 minutes after he arrived. Uh, it was half past eight in the morning. Mm. It's right down the N2. It's like fucking jo- gridlock. Yeah. And he, so my wife says, between him, the glances that he gave the paramedic and the paramedic gave him and the ambulance driver, they were like, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? How do we put this guy's leg back? Mm. Or how do we put this guy's foot back on and splint it? Mm. And she says she, she watched them um, put, that was fucking literally, it was hanging on a skin. Mm. And they basically just sort of put it back to where the splintered bone and the rest was and split and uh, what well, splintered. Yeah. Did that. And um, she says I was screaming a lot because of the pain. Um, I don't remember that. I remember waking up and thinking, fuck, if I just ended up in Star Trek, mm. because the, the room that I was in was like it was a half oval and there's beds. And every bed has got a has got a, a desk in front of it where there is one nurse and she's solely there for you, mm. the trauma nurse. And I could see how they were running back and forth, but they'd already basically they'd stabilized me. I, I remember the doctor saying to me, "We've stabilized you, but you're going to be here for a while, for a long time." There is there is so many emergency C sections and other stuff that has been that that is busy happening that they can't they can't take me immediately and i was like well that's fine and he asked me what is your pain like and i was like fuck you don't yeah i said to him dude there isn't a scale it's fucking way off i am in fucking pain and they gave me i don't know how many injections of uh, morphine um, ketamine uh, and there was some other stuff that they gave me and it was like they inject me two three times before it takes effect and every every injection is like there's like a, a 15 minute waiting period in between all of that and mm. I've got to I'm like dude just just give me more give me more give me more <laughs> <laughs> and this this nurse her fa- and she the minute that I make a sound that's not right or my whatever all the machines were was around me then she's right there and she's the first thing that she would ask me is how's your pain because I was going in and out of shock mm. um, and she was saying to me like how's your pain I said oh fuck please give me something it's fucking so and and I would watch her running into what looks like a, a glass bowl mm. and she's and you can't hear anything from in, from where I'm lying to where she's inside and I can see how earnestly she's fighting with somebody mm. inside there and she'll come back running out she'll go they're on their way mm. and then eventually I think my brain just decided fuck it I can't handle this shit and severed ties from the body and basically just let me be mm. and after the last injection, I think, I don't know if that is what, what gave me that, mm. what's in it, but it, so I was lying there and the, the, so the doctor says to me, so this Dr. Chong comes to me and says to me, how are you feeling, Mr. Smith? I said to him, I'm in a lot of pain. Mm. He says to me, yes, I know. And he looks at his foot and he looks at me, I said, um, just, just tell, give it to me straight. Is it fucked? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> he said to me, yes, it, it's, it's severed. It, it's proper fucked. Yeah. And so I said to him, so I take it, I'm going to do as soon as we can, and we're going to do a guillotine chop. Mm. Um, and then we're going to take you in again a few days later. We want to see how, you, how well you recover. And a few days later, then we're going to do a proper amputation and uh, do the sewing up and prep it so that it is ready for prosthetics. Mm. All of this, like... Hours after my my accident, and I'm like, and, and you've got to process this cut. I've got to from, pro- from I was standing on both my my legs and brushing my teeth this morning yeah. to yeah from walking to, out to of the door, chop, yeah. putting my helmet on and going. I'll see you now, sweetie. Because I went to go and sign the the, the lease for this house. Mm. 
Oh, I went to go fetch the lease to sign it. And from, from that point to lying there, and two days prior to that, I was in the, I was in the pet shop, and there was this, I, I'm not really a bird guy. Mm. I was here to buy uh, food for the, for the dogs. And um, this parrot came, came running over the, 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 came running over to me, and fucking climbed up my leg, and it started loving me in my neck. And mm. I, I was like, what the fuck? Mm. And, but at the same time, like, I sort of like, oh, and it just like sort of won me over in a way. And that's the first thing that popped up in my mind. So I looked at his thumb and I said to her, um, can I have a parrot? Yeah. <laughs> she looked at me, she said, no, why do I have a parrot? I said, because I'm going to be a fucking pirate now. <laughs> and everybody that was standing there, you could check them though, you could see the way they were looking at me. And the, while she's trying to process all of this, the, the, the nurse is standing, she turns around and goes, can you hear my wife? She went, look at me. Mm. Oh, she won't let me have a parrot. <laughs> How fucking nasty is that? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I've, I've got them all in sticks and laughter and I'm mm. like, just like making off-color jokes about my leg and shit. And mm. um, I don't know where that comes from. I, I can't explain that to you. Like A lot of people have said to me, fuck it, it must have been devastating. You must have been needing to see, to go and speak to somebody. Yeah, for about 10 minutes. It was devastating. <laughs> yeah. I remember my wife saying to me, uh, so what are you going to say to Pete when you see him? Because uh, I, I think I saw you the next day. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was there on the day but they wouldn't let me see you because you were still in trauma. So um, she asked me, what are you going to say to him? I said, I'll make gimpy leg jokes. <laughs> like, you can't do that. How's he going to feel? I said, he's going to fucking crack his ass off if I do it. Because that's what he needs. He needs us to let him know that he's still the same dude it doesn't matter to us yeah this doesn't this doesn't make the leg doesn't make me or the prosthetic I can't I will not allow the prosthetic to dictate who I will be mm. uh, kind of like thing but speaking about um, uh, post-traumatic stress up until that point I'd basically been managing my PTSD by numbing myself down with mm. with joints and um and ir irrational behavior, mm. which mm. I thought was justified, kind mm. of like thing. Um, when they wheeled me in for my second op, the guy who was assisting the, I oh, fuck, I hope these people don't listen to this podcast. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so the anesthetist, I didn't have the same anesthetist. The previous one was a woman and she gave me an epidural when they, when they chopped my leg off. Because of where all the nerve endings and stuff, because mm. you've got some two major nerve endings there. This this guy, very good looking guy, well looked after, buff boy. You can see it's the German stuff, and he's mm. too pretty, mm. and he lives in um, Greenpoint. Mm. So all of those kind of things tell me like he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's the thing that'll get us fucking what we. Well, I, I call it like it is. Look, you're either gay or you're lesbian or you fucking bi, you mm. know, you know what I mean? And I was like, okay. So I said to him, so where's the good looking one? Why the fuck are you? You're kind of like yeah. thinking, and I, th and I was like, shit, this guy's going to put me under now. I hope he doesn't do something nasty with his thumbs to me. Yeah. <laughs> and his assistant 
when I was doing anti-poaching, we used to chase Shufta. Mm. These guys, I don't know why they called him Shufta, but Shufta is what we called him. Mm. And he looked exactly like one of these guys, his profile. Mm. And uh, he had on a, um, the, uh, those, what you call those buffs, mm. with, and, and it had the military uh, fatigue colors and stuff. And I was like, oh, I lived in that for a very long time, and I'm still busy making conversation with him about it when I dropped off. Mm. Had, and the next thing, I hear something about it wasn't successful. Mm. But what I, I immediately, it was like somebody, somebody immediately said to me, you, because I'm a locksmith and they're pointing out that you did this job shit and the oak's cocking me out and immediately from there I had a whiff of cordite mm. and gun clatter mm. and I was transported immediately back into different situations all all like streamed into one yeah I think that's probably been the worst day of my life ever because it put that person that you become when you do these kind of jobs, mm. you can't be scared. Um, I have to quote, uh, I, I listened to a, um, a Marine, a, uh, not a Marine, a, a guy who was a, um, what do you call this, a Navy SEAL? Mm. He was in the SEALs and he, he put it together nicely for me. When you do this job, mm. you can't be fearful. So if you're fearful, then you're not going to affect the positive outcome that you need and mm. you might die. So you fill that space with a different emotion mm. and hatred works well. And it did. I didn't actually, I never actually correlated it like that. But when you live it long enough, you never switch that hatred off. Mm. Becomes you. It becomes you. And while on your wedding day, she's having a great time, you're busy fighting a war inside your head. Mm. You're busy, you, you, you are fucking something else is going on mm. with you. Um, and coming out of anesthesia, it's something that happens to many people that way. But I was only supposed to be under for an hour and they put me deeper under because eventually it became three hours because they couldn't get my nerve endings. They wanted to do like a, it's like a revolutionary sort of new thing that's happening in the States where they, uh, where they stitch the, 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 the nerve endings together with good nerve endings so mm. that it grows onto the good nerve endings then it eliminates having um, phantom limb and that kind of mm. thing. And, if, and he was fighting for three hours trying to do this. So mm. you can also imagine the amount of uh, trauma that goes into your leg at that time. And instead of giving me an epidural and keeping me at a level like that, other one did he shoved me further down with uh, with anesthesia I, that's the only thing that I can think of that yeah. was when they brought me out of it I was fucking I was back in between running in between the shacks in Pobashu mm. um, the the shootings from lying underneath the, the underneath, lying underneath the bucky and that shit it was like a whole lot of stuff rolled into one and that that person that woke up from there was somebody that I'd put to bed a long time ago. Oh, you thought? I thought I did. Mm. And to... I woke up to... I was covered in blood. Um, I, was, I was wet, wet, wet. My, uh, my hair was like stuck in my face. And I was on the stump that they just... What's it? They just... I've just come out of surgery that stump they've just stitched it up and I was on all fours mm. and I was fucking tired and I was watching everybody around me and they were horrified mm. and I, there was this one uh, big black big fucking uh, nurse this big black nurse dude 
fucking you can see that Oak lives in a gym or he fucking fell out of his mother's uh, fanny into a gym because this into, is the into a vat of potion yeah yeah exactly fucking big guy and I could see that he was ruffled and he's and he was just trying to pull all of his stuff right and, and I could see swelling around his neck and that and um, I was like what the fuck is going on mm. I, I and I was fighting them mm. they were trying to pin me down into the bed to try and calm me down mm. and I think with the kind of training that I've had and shit like that mm. that would probably not be the best of things to mm. do because I am slippery as fuck as it is mm. um I, you can't really pin me down that fast because I seem to have a way of being able to slip through that and they try to pin me down and I know that the shifter lighty I fucked him up properly and some and somebody else got hurt badly they were getting stitches and him <laughs> he came to me afterwards he said to me Peter I'm strong I go to gym every day but you mm. you're very strong <laughs> 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 and I and I apologized and I was like jeez I'm sorry um, and uh, yeah you know waking up in that bed in that what's the name I actually realized just and, and it's not just that stress that post-traumatic stress it's post-traumatic stress that comes from an abused childhood living with my mom my mm. mother was, a, was an alcoholic and abusive drunk she was fucking terrible mm. um and I realized that there was so much shit that I have buried and needing to, how do I deal with this? Yeah. How do I become, a, how do I become not a nice man, but a better man? How do I, okay, yeah, so I'm fucked up. And I know that I do all of these things, but this person that I woke up to, my wife said to me, she has never seen me that cold mm. and that disconnected before and that's why I told her you need to find you mm. through this whole process I've, I've started I realized that there's a lot of shit in my life that needs to be fixed yeah but how the fuck do you do that you're just like okay so I know that is wrong but now what what is my next step mm. um So, I I've been reading this book of John um, John um, Eldridge. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a, a it's a book about abused men, mm -hmm. abused kids growing up into being these men that have, uh, we are nice men mm -hmm. um, because we've seen how our mother has been beaten up or you've been abused to certain violence and stuff, and you're like, I'll never be that that guy. I'll be a nice guy, mm -hmm. and you bend over backwards, and in that in that regard you become backboneless yeah but all of that is mixed into all of the trauma and and he starts he he sort of like started pointing me in the right direction but I didn't like really get through the whole book I was like I, I started getting okay so I know this and I know that and I know this but okay so where do I go to from here and then when you came into the room and, and spoke to me it was like it was like somebody just opened up a book and I had like all of these fucking aha moments, you mm. know? And it was like, it's taken me this to be able to have that conversation with you. Yeah. Because all the other conversations have always been the tough guy conversations. And uh, I didn't give a fuck. Because mm. I didn't. I didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like shit. Yeah. 
so yeah post-traumatic stress disorder and and everyday life cost me a lot of friendships um what i thought were friendships mm. and probably two jobs and uh because uh, in my in my mind i'm not doing anything wrong yeah and i'm you're so fucking stuck in it right but you know, after talking to you and going working through this book a little bit with the book but you were able to give me the direct access to what um, would have taken me fucking how many how many sessions with a psychologist or, yeah. or speaking to somebody about it but yeah and that I suppose I still I, I suppose I still have PTSD um, but it's 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 something that never goes away it, it's, it, it, it manifests sometimes it'll manifest in a way you sort of like in my own experience I'm watching something with my family Mm. And it's it's maybe it has nothing to do with violence or anything, but somebody might say something, or the, the light might come through the trees down a street, or there might be a sound, or and it takes me to a memory. For me, it's it, it it's memories that are triggered. Yeah, and it'll fuck me up for days. Yeah, for days I'd be like, you know, I'd be I'd be anxious or. It could be a song or mm. a phrase, or it's just like a, a smell. The, the smell of old furniture is what really, like, fucking gets me. You know, like when when um, when 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 varnish and and grease and shit comes together, and you open up an old drawer, mm. that smell mm. that you get. Um, it takes me back to searching houses for for contraband. It takes me back to that that shit or fine dust between your teeth mm. it's things like that 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 triggers it and, it and it never goes away but you learn to say it's okay that this is happening mm. and i would never ever blame anyone for putting me into that um space and and, and teaching me how to do that because i also got positive stuff out of that absolute skills yeah. um it's allowed me to see to stay left of bang all the time, mm. um, most mostly. Um, it's harder when there are other people involved and they think they know what they're doing, and then all you're like, you can see it coming, yeah. And then it happens, you're like, well, fuck, I knew that was going to happen. Now I need to deal with what's going on now. You sort of learn how to do that, but with your experience, while you were under um, anesthesia, taking you back to that trauma. Is your brain saying to you, I need to take you to the furthest, darkest point and get that shit right out of the way so that when you come back, you've lived the most worst of it already. And now we're going to go through the recovery. And it's given you the opportunity to look at other things positively. I, mm. I, know, a, I know many amputees. Mm. I have a lot of friends who are amputees. And none of them have come back from after the, 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 the amputation or after the trauma as quickly as you have. Mm. You sort of slotted over into right, I've I've had my 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 carrots and peas, what do I need to do now? Yeah. Right? Yeah. When I'm I'm working towards getting to the meat. Yeah. I've had the carrots and peas, um, I've taken my medicine, um, I've had the fucking snarky nasty bread that you I'm, I've had all the cut before. Mm. I'm working towards getting 
to the meat. And that is what we all should do every single day. I got to get the cuck out of the way. Yeah. You know, I say to my daughter, it's a constant discussion with her. The first thing that she wants to do in the morning, she, she's just taking up crocheting. So she wakes up and she's busy fucking whittling along at this fucking thing, or she's reading. Hmm. I don't have a bad kid. You know, other kids are out fucking drinking syrup and smoking weed and whatever. She is probably one of the best 16 year olds out there and I'm grateful I thank God for it and it shows me my way works with the with the influence of other people it works what we what we have all done as a community has worked with this kid because she she accepts it um, but I say to her get the cuck out of the way first make your bed mm. you know um, what was your chore do the cuck that you and that's where the stoicism comes from yeah. you know do the shit that you need to do get it out of the way so that you can have the fun times you make your bed up but 90% of the times people who make their bed up first get the rest of the shit out of the way during the day exactly <laughs> you know I, I, I subscribe to the 90-90-1 doctrine so 90901. Mm. I spend 90 minutes on the thing that is 90% most important in my life on that one day Mm. and I try and do that every day so once a day I will do that and it's the first 90 minutes of my day and I've been able to get so much done in the touch of Creole business that uh, my wife and I have started because I've got to make that transition at the moment I'm, I'm still dealing with other people's problems and it's and I never get to see the end of the problem because other people are involved in it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I'm telling you, that's going to fuck out. Don't do that. Hmm. And then it fucks out. I mean, I've got clients who, they don't listen to you. So this pick and pay peanut butter thing comes about. Um, there's lots of other shit that happens because they don't listen. And I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, I can't deal with your cut because you don't want to listen I need to deal with with stuff where I affect positive change and when I feed someone yeah I can instantly see how fucking lacquer people are so Pete in closing I want to say thank you for your time thank you for your efforts I really really appreciate that this discussion has been fucking brilliant brother thank you um, we will revisit it more <laughs> next time we get somebody else in and we fucking make them cry <laughs> <laughs>